I just want to make a strong argument for having a literal Bible. Okay, and I'm not opposed to those of you, and I know I rib you all the time about it. I'm not opposed to digital devices, but there is something about having a literal Bible that you can underline, that you can write next to, that you can um, just something about, about having. I'm grateful, you know, for, you know, a newer generation that are digitally bookmarking and, you know, able to underline some things, but I'm a strong proponent for having a good Bible, especially a study Bible, and uh, would encourage you to get one if you don't have one. And please bring your Bibles to church. I believe that if you'll bring your Bible to church and you'll crack it open in church, then you're probably doing it at home, at home as well. Amen? Does that sound biblically sound? Okay. Hebrews 3. <clears throat> it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven, think carefully about this Jesus, whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. For he was faithful to God who appointed him. Just as Moses served faithfully when he was entrusted with God's entire house. But Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses. Just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself. For every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration of the truths God would reveal later. But Christ, as the Son, is in charge of God's entire house, and we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. That is why the Holy Spirit says, today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. There your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them, and I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Remember what it says, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. And it was who rebelled against God even though, and, it, and who was it who rebelled against God even though they heard his voice? Wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness and to whom God was speaking when he took an oath when they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. Father in heaven, only you can speak to hearts today. Father, you can soften the hardest heart. And God, if I pray anything for those that are present here today, that are watching live, I pray that they too would not harden their hearts as they hear and discern your voice today. Father, we ask, soften hard hearts. Father, we ask that you would get us through a wilderness season into all the promises that you have for us. Father, speak to every heart in life, listening, present, watching. Father, speak to every heart and life, I ask and pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You can be seated. Thank you for your patience and standing. Why such a strong comparison with Jesus and Moses? Why? Well, 
you have to understand some things about how the children of Israel saw Moses. Remember the book of Hebrews as a transition from the old to new covenant. And regarding the old covenant, there was no one greater in Jewish thought than Moses. No one greater. One form of messianic hope was the waiting for a second Moses. Rabbinic tradition holds support for the belief that Moses was to be held higher than the angels. There's even the legend that circulated of books that were written called The Assumption of Moses. Even the exaggeration that God magnified Moses as a God based on Exodus 7, verse 1. Suffice it to say, Moses was the most important figure regarding God's salvation leading up to Jesus Christ. In fact, if Jesus is seen in every book of the Bible, it's been said that in the book of Exodus, Jesus is Moses' voice. Moses' voice. And so here, you sometimes have to deal with old thought and old tradition to be able to pour in new wine. Because if the wineskin remains old, and if the clothes remain old, then that old wineskin will burst when new wine is poured in it, and those old clothes will tear when a new patch is sewn on it. And so old hearts must be dealt with so that God can pour in that which is new. And here, that's exactly what's happening as the writer is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit dealing with old tradition with the old way of things, and he could not be confronting a more honored, a more respected, a more looked-to person than Moses in regards to the Old Testament. And so the confrontation is on here. Look at it this way. In the New Testament, Abraham is mentioned 72 times, 10 in the book of Hebrews alone. Moses is mentioned 79 times in the New Testament, 11 times in the book of Hebrews. And here in Hebrews chapter 3, we see a parallel of Israel under Moses and believers in Christ Jesus. And that's the transition that needs to be made. Because for every one of us that have been raised in a tradition, the transition must be made from the tradition that we hold such value to and upon to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. I'm grateful for traditions I was raised with. I'm grateful for the customs and the, the religious habits that were laid before me as an example. But if it's going to be solid and if it's going to be living, then it's going to revolve around Jesus Christ. Not a form, not, not a shadow. The substance will always be Christ. Always be Christ. And that's always the danger when we are holding to a tradition. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 15 that the traditions of men make the word of God of no effect. And you'll find people argue their traditions over the word of God. And believers will say, yeah, but the Bible says. And they'll contend that their tradition is greater than the word of God. Well, I just want to say this about traditions before we go any further. There is nothing living in a tradition. Time-honored, respected, valued, sure. But living, no. Jesus is always a substance. And the shadow, no matter how great, is still a shadow. That is why there are quotes from Psalm 95 that spoke of Israel's wilderness journey. And many times we're making 
a wilderness journey too. We're leaving something that we've been raised with and we're transitioning into all of the life and promises that God has for us through Jesus Christ. I had to make that transition. I had to make that transition from the religion that I was raised in to the relationship that I was being offered. And there's no comparison, but you would be shocked at how many people go back to the comfort of a tradition, even if it offers no life, because of the safety and the comfort that they feel in that tradition. One, we have some control over, and here we must relinquish and we must lose all control and submit to. Religion over relationship. Tradition over life. It's amazing how we can come up with our own rules that we feel are holy and righteous too. Careful. Be very careful. The writer of Hebrews here is issuing a warning based on Israel's past history here in chapter 3. And three times believers are told not to harden their hearts. Two of the three times with direct reference to the wilderness. Those verses are 7, 8, and 15. It is therefore possible to harden your heart to God when you hear his voice. Or better yet, you cannot Harden your heart to God unless he is speaking. We see instances of this when the Bible says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Well, God didn't harden Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh hardened his own heart, but the statement is obviously accurate because it's written in Scripture. Pharaoh's heart hardened as God, through Moses and Aaron, continually kept coming to him. He hardened his heart. So in a sense, yes, God did as he kept coming to him. Let my people go. Let my people go. Let them worship me. Let them go. And Pharaoh hardened his heart again and again and again. So in a sense, yeah, God did harden his heart in his continual coming. Shows you how much he loves us. He'll keep coming after us again and again and again and again. And it's not so that our heart would harden. It's so that our heart would soften and we'd respond. We'd open up. We'd relinquish and we'd reverence all that God is saying and doing and asking. So with the children of Israel as our example, we can conclude that hearts are susceptible to hardness when in a wilderness season. And many people never make it out of their wilderness season, never make it through their wilderness journey. They don't discern what God is doing. In these three instances, it tells us hearts are hardened through deception and rebellion. The wilderness is a place between places, a season between seasons. You're not where you want to be, but thank God you're not where you were. And yet you don't know what to do with the place you're in. Because clearly God began something, but you're in the middle of that which has not been completed, and you, you don't know what to do. He spoke loudly enough to get you out, but it seems now you're in a place where he doesn't seem to be speaking as clearly. It's almost as if he is beckoning you to press in, to seek him more diligently, to press in a little bit harder. If you're going to get the best out of me, I might need some amens this morning. Let's look at a couple wilderness scriptures that are common among people that go through a wilderness season and they don't discern it. First one's in Deuteronomy 1. These would be good to find because I promise you'll use them again someday. 
Deuteronomy 1, Moses is speaking to the people. Look at verse 26 and 27. Moses saying in verse 26, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God and you refused to go in. You complained in your tents and said, the Lord must hate us. That's why he's brought us here from Egypt, to hand us over to the Amorites to be slaughtered. Isn't it amazing that God's deliverance, so great as it was, bringing them out of 400 years of Egyptian bondage, when they were in the wilderness, they thought that God hated them. Well, if God hated them, he would have left them there. If God hated you so much, he never would have revealed his son Jesus to you, offered salvation to you. If God hated you so much, he never would have given you times where you knew that your sins were forgiven and that you were wiped clean. You felt it. You experienced his presence. And yet, through difficult times, you'd say, God must hate me for these things to go on. You're in a wilderness place, and you're not navigating it well. And you're even beginning to turn on God. God, you must hate me. Yep, that's why I sent my son. For a few that I loved and for a bunch that I hated, that would be consistent with Scripture. Excuse my sarcasm. Or I should say, I'm sorry that I'm not sorry. God doesn't hate you. And you know that he doesn't hate you. And just because, because you can't make sense of where you're at doesn't mean that he's not in where you're at. And just because you can't seem to navigate appropriately and properly where you're at doesn't mean that his plans for you are over. He doesn't hate you. When you think God hates you, you are clearly in a wilderness season. And maybe that's you today. Go to Deuteronomy 8. Let me show you another. And I grabbed two. This isn't obviously exhaustive. If you want to look up a wilderness mentality, Joyce Myers probably preaches on this better than anybody that I know. Deuteronomy 8. I'll read one and two. It says, be careful to obey all the commands I'm giving you today. Then you will live and multiply. Notice God's speaking, and if they listen and they do what he's speaking, they'll live and they'll multiply. God just doesn't want you existing. He wants you increasing. Okay, can we see that? And you will enter and occupy the lands that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. To prove your character. So, it's necessary in our wilderness season that we understand that, first of all, God doesn't hate us and that our character is being proven. And I used to hate that when I was told that growing up, it'll be good for your character. It'll be good for your character. Well, if this is what builds my character, then I think I'm going to pack it in. And I think we don't, we don't want our, our character built. Let me show you a phenomenal scripture that isn't in your notes. Hold your place. Go to Psalm 105, verse 19. Don't have this in your notes. And I believe that the New Living probably captures this best. Psalm 105, 19. So okay if I preach at you a little bit this morning. All right. It says, until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. Until the time came, 
to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. So the pit, the prison, wasn't punishment. It was all part of testing. E.M. Bounds says that our trials and persecutions, they're not a matter of punishment in this life. That's reserved for the next life. They're all a matter of discipline. And like it or not, if we're being honest, we don't want to be disciplined. We didn't like it when we're kids, and we surely don't like it when we're adults. But isn't it amazing why we disciplined our kids? Scripture says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, and the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Let me tell you something. If it didn't get driven out of you as a child, then God's doing it now. For those who have ears to hear, Or I guess we can just keep circling the mountain and blaming God. Well, God clearly has got to hate me because nothing seems to work out. No, he's disciplining you. No, he's proving your character. He's revealing to you how much he loves you. Not how much he hates you. Let me say this. The wilderness is not where God reveals himself to you. It's It's where God reveals yourself to you. That's what the wilderness is. The wilderness is not where God reveals. So God, where are you? I'm right here and I'm trying to show you you. I'm trying to reveal you to you. He humbled you and tested you so that you would know what's in your heart, the next verse says in Deuteronomy 8. You need to know what's in there because if you don't, one day it's gonna come out of your mouth in the most inopportune time. Where did that come from? Well, it came from what was dormant in your your heart. And when the heat's on in the kitchen, it comes out of your mouth because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and that wilderness season will deal with your heart. If you're going to walk in anything that God's got for you, any of the promises that he's got for you, you're going to go through your wilderness season. And John Bevere, I think, said it best when he says that you can't shorten your wilderness season, but you can surely lengthen it. Don't worry about what's going on with everybody else. Don't worry about how it seems that one has seemed to grow so fast so soon. Maybe they've done more homework than you. Thanks, Tom. Maybe they've done a little bit more homework than you. Maybe they've been pressing in when they're all alone and their time alone with God where nobody can see. And God who sees what's done in secret is now beginning to reward them openly. Maybe that's what's going on. But what's going on with them is really none of your business. And what they think or you think they think about you is none of your business either. You deal with you because that's what God's trying to do. Jesus, resurrected Jesus is talking to Peter. Has this amazing discourse. I was able to stand in Israel at the very place where this took place. Peter challenges, or the Lord challenges Peter three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep, tend my lambs. And then after all of this, resurrected Jesus. Peter goes, yeah, but what about him? What about John? And the Lord says, what do you care if he lives till I come back again? You follow me. And can I say that? It's not about all the other Christians. It's not about what's going on in everybody else's life. You follow Jesus. 
You follow Jesus. You want to get flaky? You want to get weird quick? Be concerned about everybody else. Come to church with everybody else in your heart and your mind. You follow Jesus. What the Lord told Peter, I'm telling you today. You follow Jesus. In closing, I want to look at the three words revolving around Hebrews 3. I want to look at the words harden, rebellion, and deceived. Harden. Harden means to cause, to be, or make stubborn, especially in regards to the truth. I was joking around with, with Jazz and, and Paige before the service at the cafe, and I quoted the scripture, better is open rebuke than love carefully concealed. And there comes a time when you just need to have a depth of relationship with someone to where you can just tell them the truth. Tell them the truth. And a rebellious person will harden to the truth. In fact, I've had people tell me, well, pastor, I believe what you're saying is true, but I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to. I can think of two instances that stand out. I had somebody in my office that told me that they knew that what I was telling them was the truth, but they were going to go out and use drugs anyway. They, was a, they were a drug addict, and they just rebelled, and they went out and used drugs anyway. And there was a woman who was contemplating cheating on her husband. By her own admittance, he was a good man and was a great father, but she just wanted to cheat on him anyway, and she ended up going out and cheating on him anyway. She was told the truth, and he was told the truth, but they went ahead and rebelled and did it anyway. So harden means to cause to be or to make stubborn, especially in regards to the truth. People are confronting you with the truth. doesn't matter if 50 people, 100 people tell you the same thing. You harden to it. And if you haven't put two and two together, I just want to state it, state the obvious, that nothing grows where there's hardness. Hard soil, hard hearts, nothing grows. Rebellion. Rebellion means opposition to one in authority, also carrying, whether you realize this or not, the idea of bitterness. Rebellion is opposition to one in authority, and it can carry the, the idea or it carries the thought of, of bitterness. I hate being told what to do. I don't care if it's a teacher. I don't care if it's a coach. I don't care if it's a pastor. I don't like being told what to do. Some of you could be business owners because you don't like being told what to do. Some of you struggled in school because you didn't like being told what to do. Maybe the teacher that tells you what to do the most is the one you like the least. Some of you aren't in sports, even though you might be athletically gifted, because you don't like being told what to do. I just hate being told what to do. You go run a lap. I don't feel like running a lap right now. And let me just say this. I have found that our attitudes towards those in authority largely determines our success and our future. And I'm not saying that a lot can't get accomplished. But you'd be surprised what bitter people can accomplish 
just out of sheer determination that they're not going to play second field to anybody. I'm not going to do what anybody tells me to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. And be careful that you're not bitter in your heart. Be careful that you're not bitter in your heart. Deceived. Deceived means causing someone to have misleading views concerning the truth. Notice how all these revolve around the truth. Deceived means causing someone to have misleading views about the truth. You know what I've seen happen? I've seen people that all of a sudden think they have a teaching gift and maybe they're going live on Facebook or doing whatever they're doing because they think they have a teaching gift. Nobody's really promoting that, but they've just kind of taken the, the stance that um, they need to be, and they're misleading people. And because they're not a recognized spiritual leader, once they've misled those people, those people are no longer being led by anyone. When it is a fivefold ministry gift given to the body to equip, people are equipped. When it's not, people are led astray and they wonder why they had this attitude and why they're not coming to church anymore. And if they trace it back, they'd say, oh, it's when I began to listen to brother or sister so-and-so. It's began, it began when I began to buy into their doctrine, tainted with offense. The truth is the truth, and the truth stands alone. The truth is the truth, and the truth stands alone. And if it does not revolve around Jesus Christ, it's not the truth, because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth for the believer in Jesus is a person. It's a person. And if it does not come back to Jesus, what you believe in, then it's not founded on the truth, and it's not truth at all. And I've seen a lot of people believe a lot of things, but if it does not come back to Jesus, it's not founded on the truth. Jesus is the truth. The Holy Spirit's the spirit of truth, leading and guiding in all truth. You'll find this theme throughout the New Testament, especially if you're looking for it. I don't care how close it is, it's Jesus. Whether it's the gospel, whether it's the word of God, it's Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Jesus. He is the word that became flesh, Jesus. It must revolve around Jesus Christ if it is truth. No matter how close, no matter who said it, how great they were, how many books they wrote, it must come back to Jesus Christ if it's truth, if it's doctrinally sound. Don't harden your heart. Don't rebel. Don't be deceived. So hard hearts are stubborn, bitter, and misled. Hard hearts are stubborn, bitter, and misled. Please do not be one of those. Notice in each instance it speaks of today. Why? Because God is always speaking today. See, that's the biggest lie of the enemy, that God's, that God's no longer speaking. Well, of course he is. Because if God's no longer speaking, then Christians are no longer living because we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Another great verse out of Deuteronomy chapter 8. It's how we live, by every word that proceeds we might have a lot of thoughts, might have a lot of knowledge, but what is God saying? What's the Lord saying? 
God is speaking today. And if it was true when Hebrews was written, it's true today. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. Don't be rebellious. See that you're deceived and only God can reveal deception to someone because deceived people don't think they're wrong. That's why they're deceived. And you can go ahead and point at them and say you're deceived. Probably isn't going to do any good. The spirit of the living God's got to reveal that. So I pray. I'd pray for deceived people. God, you're going to have to show them. There's no way they're going to receive it.